are, uh, we are created for relationships, and today we will, uh, we will look a little bit into what that looks like in a, in a marriage relationship, uh, especially in how we serve each other. But we need relationships in our lives. We, we need other people, and many times those relationships can get complicated. Uh, so we can slip into selfishness, and we want what we want in those relationships, and it's, so it's hard to keep relationships healthy and alive. Uh, our lives are filled with, uh, with relational interactions, really. I, I mean, there's casual relationships, like maybe acquaintances. You recognize them at a ball game or, or uh, in the neighborhood, but you don't have a whole lot in common. Uh, there are transactional relationships. Uh, your relationship with the cashier at the store would be a transactional relationship. Well, I'm not sure what it says about me that I prefer the self-check at the store, but um, uh, there, are, there, are, there are friendships, close friendships, distant friendships, there's parent-child relationships, sibling relationships, extended family relationships, dating relationships, marriage relationships. Uh, relation, we could go on and on and on. Relationships are vitally important in our lives, but also a lot can go wrong in those relationships. There's division and disunity and discrimination and abuse and again the list could go on and on. Relationships can can get pretty messed up too. God wants our relationships to be healthy and vibrant and we each have a responsibility to do whatever we can to uh, to keep them that way. Romans 12 uh, says it this way, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That everyone uh, is uh, is pretty all inclusive, and so as we think about those the relationships in our lives, uh, we would do well over and over again to go back to Romans twelve. As far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. But in this world of abuse and racism and injustice and divorce and and uh, all of the the rest. I mean, is that really even possible? I mean, God sets that standard, but come on. I mean, I'm not sure he really means that. Today, we want to look at a few questions, and really just a few. I mean, there's probably a boatload of questions that we could, we could address as we think about relationships, uh, but, but we're continuing this frequently asked questions series. There's no, no way to get to all of the questions related to our relationships, but we're going to hit a few, I guess, maybe some hot button topics that have, have been asked uh, over the years, uh, perhaps, by uh, in the church and outside of the church. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at some of those, and hopefully we'll discover some principles that, that can apply not just to the specific uh, things that we look at today, but uh, in all of our relationships um, that cover your specific circumstances. We're, we're going to uh, uh, look next week then. We'll open up the issue, uh, issues related to sexuality uh, and we'll open up the, the issues of sexual orientation, homosexuality, other issues related to, to that. So here's your warning. Uh, it's going to be rated at least a PG-13 next week, just letting you know. Uh, so uh, so, so you'll, you'll know that ahead of time. We've looked extensively in this series at the Christian worldview, and you you saw that some of you maybe said, "Oh, good," when he was bringing when I brought out the uh, the easels again this week, and some of you go, "Oh, we're still on that." Okay, uh, one more week for the easels. But we've looked extensively at the Christian worldview, and and that uh, that it's God centered and God created it all, and He wants a relationship with with us, and sin messed up that relationship, and so Jesus is our Savior, and as we as we accept His gift of grace into our lives. Uh, 
he paid the penalty for our sin and so we can have that relationship restored. Heaven is our home. We talked last week a lot about uh, what's going to happen at the end of time and, and what all that might might be like. Uh, and, and so then our purpose is to be holy and when we have questions... Uh, God the Father is the one that answers those questions because it's it's a it's a life with God and it's it's uh, it's governed over by Him and by His rules. He's the authority, and so we we come to life, we face life. If we're if we're followers of God, then we're going to try to answer our questions. When we have questions, we're going to bring those to look at it from this perspective, a Christian worldview. Obviously, there's there's a non-Christian worldview, and, and that's kind of the opposite of all of that. There's uh, It's all centered on me and what I want, and so so there's no life beyond this life, so I'm just going to get what all I can for myself here, and my purpose then is to be happy, and so I'm going to answer all my questions based on what feels good or or, or what, uh, what society might say or what sounds good in the moment, because this is my life and my rules, and there isn't any other authority that I need to answer to. We've said that, that, uh, that, that a lot of times we find ourselves maybe in the middle between these. Maybe we're not clear over here. We, we, we believe in God, but, but we also want to, want to be happy ourselves. And so we kind of come up with what I've, what I've termed, uh, smorgasbord Christianity, where we kind of, uh, pick and choose, kind of like the buffet line at the, the restaurant, where we, we choose one thing and we, we choose another and we kind of skip over the things we don't necessarily want to have in our lives, in our spiritual lives. I hope that one thing that you're, that you're picking up from this series isn't just the, the answers to these specific questions that, that we're, we're answering, but that, that you're bringing your other questions to a Christian worldview for answers, that, 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 that you're reconsidering perhaps some things. Maybe you're recognizing that you have more of a smorgasbord Christianity experience than what you thought. And so maybe you're reconsidering some things based on what God the Father says, not just on what is popular or what what you feel like doing. I, I hope that this extends beyond just the specific questions that we answered. Uh, one great way to find answers to life's questions, obviously God the Father answers our questions. What One great way that he does that is by if, is if we look at his character, what he's like, um, how he operates, uh, then we can start to answer, okay, well, if God's like that, then uh, then I should be like this. And and so today as we step into these relational things, God is relational. Uh, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God desires relationship uh, uh, with us, and, uh, and so there's, there's this relational piece that's woven all the way through all of this. Uh, what is God like in the relationships that he has? And so today I want to look at just a few. There's, there's uh, again, a, a bunch of characteristics of who God is and what he's like, uh, but, but a few of them apply specifically to these issues of relationships. And, and the first one I want to pull out today is that God is love. You probably already knew that. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this phrase, smile, God loves you. Turn to somebody next to you and say, smile, God loves you. Rebecca, you can tell me, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, that feels good, right? Smile, God loves Some of you are smiling now. I've never seen you smile during a sermon, but now you're smiling because God loves it. Just kidding. Uh, it makes you feel good. And it's not just a feel-good thing. It's not just, oh, I, I, God loves me. Uh, I, I want God to love me because it feels good. It makes me happy. No, it's the truth. Uh, God loves us. And it's not just that he's acting in love or that he's doing something out of love. The Bible says that he is love. The core of who God is is that he is love. First John four sixteen. God is 
love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Uh, so, so, so God is love. It's part of who he is. So everything that he does, he does out of love. His love for us motivates his interaction with us. He doesn't do things out of spite. God doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't try to trick us in some way in order to manipulate us to do certain. God is love. Psalm 103 verse 8 emphasizes it again. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That informs how we, not, not only do we see how God interacts with other people in relationship, but now that begins to help us know how we need to interact with other people. Another characteristic of God is that he is dependable, he is faithful. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. He keeps his word. God is faithful. Psalm 119, verse 40 says, Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. 2 Corinthians 1.20, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. If God says it, it's true. You can depend on him to keep his promises, to honor his commitments. If he makes a vow, he's going to follow through on it. Uh, That's important to remember, not only in our relationship with God, but also we need to remember that in our relationship with other people. God is faithful. We should be faithful. God keeps his promises. We should keep our promises. God honors his vows. We should honor our vows and commitments. One more thing in God's character, God pursues reconciliation. Reconciliation is one of those great, uh, you know, ten-syllable words or whatever, right? Uh, I've been teaching uh, some of the uh, uh, middle school and below uh, the, the membership class for the last few weeks, and we've hit some at least five-syllable words in there, and we've got to kind of make sure that everybody understands those things. Reconciliate, yeah, it's a lot of syllables, God pursues us in order to keep the relationship together or to bring the relationship back together. That's what reconciliation is all about. God wants to heal broken relationships. So he extends forgiveness. He seeks to restore, he pursues reconciliation. Romans 5.11, we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, 9 and 10, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God is many things. Uh, uh, among them, he is love. He keeps his promises He pursues reconciliation. And if we are to be followers of God, if we're seeking to be holy, if we're striving to follow, live life through a Christian worldview, then our character should over and over and over, closer and closer and closer, our character should match the character of God. More and more each day, we should find ourselves becoming more and more godly. Right? And so we should be in our relationships. We should be motivated by love. We should keep our promises. We should pursue reconciliation. Of course, if you're not trying to follow God, don't worry about any of that. It's, it's fine. You're living over here and we wouldn't expect you to follow this, right? Because you're, you haven't signed on to that. Uh, so, so, you know, if you're not following God, don't worry about it. I mean, you're, you're living to please yourself, so it's your life. You're following your rules, and, and you're doing whatever you think will make you happy. So you might love, as long as it benefits you. 
you won't always keep your promises because situations change and, and uh, you know, you don't really need to keep your promises. And, and reconciliation only happens on your terms. But if you're living the God life over here, you'll be matching, you'll be striving to have your character match the character of God. And so when there's questions related to your relationships, you're going to come to God, God's your father, and say, what should I do here? And one great way to answer that question is, well, how does God do it? And if God does it this way, then that's how our character should match. If you're not there yet, it's fine. Those of us that are following after God, that are striving to know him more and more, we're desiring to live life through this lens. It's a selfless, others-focused life. Our relationships should be characterized by selflessness. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Philippians 2, 3, 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but also, but each of you to the interests of others. First Peter 4, 8, maybe this sums it all up. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So those are some overarching principles and characteristics that should be evident in our relationships, in our interaction with other people. We should be people of love. We should keep our word. We should pursue reconciliation. And so with all of that as uh, as a background, I want to address just a few specific questions about specific things in relationships. Uh, again, hot-button topics that maybe, uh, maybe come up, maybe don't necessarily get addressed all the time in church. The first question uh, has to do with racism, discrimination. What, what should Christ followers, followers do about racism? Uh, the, the answer is name it as sin, repent, and seek reconciliation. Galatians 3, 26 to 28 kind of leads us through this discussion. So in Jesus, Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In this world where prejudice runs rampant, and we seem so good at drawing lines and highlighting differences, God says we're supposed to be one. Unified. If there is ever a place where discrimination should be dead, it should be the church. If there is ever a place where prejudice is unheard of, it should be among the people of God. Our God is love. His people must be characterized by love, and we must desire what is best for others, no matter ethnicity or any other line that we might want to draw. I had some great modeling here as, as, uh, as, as, uh, growing up, my, my, uh, my parents, um, Opened their home on multiple occasions to uh, to foster children, and so I was just used to uh, playing with kids that didn't necessarily look like me much. Um, this was like, I mean, I, I don't know how common that was in 1975, but uh, but I had some great modeling there. Different ethnicities, we just kind of that was just what we did and how how it all happened. I. You, you all, uh, most of you know that our, our children are adopted and typically, uh, we received, uh, uh, comments sometimes when, when, when Claire was a baby, uh, wow, she looks so much like you, that's great. 
honest, I mean, I didn't really say it, but I mean, I don't care. Who? I mean, she could be purple. And, and what does that say? Uh, does that diminish? Uh, does that diminish Nick, who doesn't look anything like us? <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard it at school or in the neighborhood. You're Nick's dad? I don't really look like it, right? Discrimination, racism, there, there's absolutely no place for that in the life of a Christian. No place. Now more than ever, racial tensions seem to continue to grow. And, and, and so uh, the church, Christians, God, people should be at the front of the pack, leading the way toward racial reconciliation, loving others no matter what the outward appearances might be. We need to celebrate those differences. I know these issues are complicated and, and complex. And, and what do we do first? And what do we do next? And, and I guess the first thing that I would say, one person at a time. One relationship at a time. Uh, immerse yourself in relationships with people that maybe aren't like you. Maybe they don't look like you. If you find yourself, and I think some of these things are ingrained and we don't necessarily even notice or, or want them there, but, but I mean, sometimes we find ourselves with, with, with thoughts or feelings that, that, that are discriminatory and, and we don't necessarily even, even want them there, but when they come up and when God brings those things to mind, we need to repent of those things and we need to seek reconciliation in those matters. That's what God is all about. He is a God of love. He pursues relationships to be restored i mean there's i can't in five minutes of a sermon i can't go into all of the the uh the the issues and the complicated stuff of uh of all of this i mean we we tend to have ingrained habits or ideas maybe we've grown up with them uh maybe maybe some things we're not even conscious of there there are systemic issues in our in our country today related to uh to, to poverty and injustices and and things that, that that maybe we don't even know about or 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 we tend to overlook them just because that's the way things have always been and so we need to be uh, aware of those things we need to to, to look into those things uh, we need to do that not only in our society but also also personally in our lives. And when we feel the nudge to step into that, we need to do something about it. We, we need to name racism as preju- and prejudice when we see it and we need to fight against it. Because God is love and we are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, uh, we could have a huge conversation about this that would continue on into the afternoon and into the next weeks and months most likely. There are issues there that, uh, and, and nuances and all those kinds of things. Got to come back to the Christian worldview. God is a God of love. God is a God of uh, pursuing relationships. God is a God who, who, who seeks reconciliation to, to, to bring back the, the relationships that are broken. We have to apply that in issues of, of uh, discrimination and, and racism. Well, that, that, that verse in, in Galatians chapter 3 that, uh, that we read leads us on. We're going to shift gears a little bit and look at a couple other things. Again, these, these things aren't, are uh, uh, just some hot-button things that, 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 uh, um, that come up, questions that come up regarding relationships. Galatians 3 uh, points us also toward uh, the, rela- the, the marriage relationship. 
It says that not only is there no racial or class discrimination or distinction in Christ, but there's also no gender distinction. There is, uh, nor is there male or fe- and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. But then there's these other verses, these other pesky little verses, right, that, that, that talk about uh, submission and differences between men and women. And, uh, and so I guess the, the frequently asked question we're going to look at today is, what does the Bible mean when it uses the term submit in marriage? You guys just sat up a little bit because you're getting excited about this, right? Well, hold your horses. The question comes for, uh, from a few places in the Bible where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. If, if there, if, but if there's not a distinction, in Galatians 3, if there's not a distinction in Christ between male and female, we're all one in Christ Jesus, then, the, then one isn't more important than, than another, that we're all equal, then, then what's going on there? Well, that term submit has been misused and misapplied in the church for years. Much abuse has taken place, even among God's people, as husbands demand that their wives submit and serve their desires, so to speak. But let's take a look at what Scripture really says. Uh, the, probably the, one of the main passages, the main passage that, that addresses this in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll come back to that. We could stop right there because it doesn't say one gender is supposed to submit to another, it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It goes on, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands down through history, especially in patriarchal societies, have, have been known to dominate their wives, uh, many times quoting these, some of these verses. Uh, I truly believe that we've done wives a disservice by pulling one or two verses out of context and, and not looking at the entire passage. The entire passage is all about husbands and wives serving each other. There's much more there about the, the role of what uh, husbands, uh, how husbands are to love and serve their wives. I, the, the whole thing, it starts off, the whole context of it is is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not a, a better than, I'm in charge and you'd better submit to me relationship. It's a, we look out for the best of each other as together we serve Jesus relationship. Amen. This is not about positional authority. I'm in charge and you'd better toe the line. That is not what Christian marriage is based on. Uh, Pastor Kevin Myers from Twelve Stone Church in Georgia says it this way, Submission is not a position that enslaves you, but a disposition that frees you. What does that mean? Uh, Disposition, how we approach uh, a situation or a circumstance, our disposition, it's it's a disposition of service. In fact, it would be true to the original language there to insert the word serve wherever you read submit. 
Serve one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, serve your husbands. Husbands, serve Christ. Love your wives. Serve your wife. It's a disposition. Sorry, get a little excited. It's, it's a disposition that chooses to serve for the good of another. That's, that's what that word can be translated to mean. That, that's, that's the foundation of a biblical marriage. Serving with the best interest of another in mind. Anyone who takes verse 22 and runs with it ignores the entire context of this and, and other passages. And uh, the example here for husbands is Jesus and his bride, the church, right? So by lording it over us, that's not matching how Jesus loved his church, right? Jesus didn't, doesn't demand uh, obedience. He says, come to me and we'll live in relationship and this is the best way to live. Jesus doesn't lord it over us. He doesn't force obedience. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't demand uh, nothing like that. Uh, remember, God's love is, uh, God's character is one of selfless love. Jesus' example is sacrifice, giving his life for the good of others. And so that's my example of how I am to love my wife, how she is to love me as Christ loved the church. We serve each other day in and day out. Uh, of course, there will be conflict. There will be miscommunication. Uh, there, there's misunderstandings, differences of opinion. Uh, of course, those things come. That's part of relationships. But our underlying commitment is to serve one another. And the only way that works is in a lifelong committed relationship, committed to Jesus first and committed to each other. I guess the, uh, the picture of a biblical marriage would be a little bit like this. As I submit to Jesus, I choose to serve my spouse, showing God's love for life. I'm submitted to Jesus, I'm serving Jesus, and as I do that, I do that through my relationships. The fundamental relationship, if I'm married, the fundamental relationship is my spouse, and so I'm serving my spouse and she's serving me, and together we're showing God's love, and we're doing that in a committed relationship for life, till death do us part. If you don't make that commitment, then you probably, uh, or in, in other situations, there, there, there will be problems, there will be discord, there will be disunity, there's, and again, in, in, Seven minutes in a sermon, we, we, it's, it's, it's hard to address all of the issues and all of the things associated with that. But now let's move on to even a, even a bigger hot button issue. Because in marriage, some marriages don't make it, right? What does God, what does the Bible, what does the church, what does a Christian worldview have to say about divorce? The question, I guess, uh, are there times that divorce is a sin? And the answer is yes. If we're going to come back to a uh, Christian worldview, we're going to come back to the Bible and what that talks about, we're going to uh, see uh, in Malachi 2.16. I hate divorce, God says. The Lord, it says the Lord, the God of Israel. But why would he say that? I, because divorce breaks vows and fails to reconcile relationships. Two things at the core of who, who God is, right? Uh, he, he doesn't hate divorced people. Please hear that. He, he doesn't uh, see uh, people who have divorced as anything less than anyone else. 
but because of who he is and because of the sacredness of that marriage relationship, God grieves when there's, when there's a break in that. Jesus was asked about divorce point blank in Matthew 19, so we don't have to guess about the answer to this. It's, it's, it's there. Uh, Jesus addressed it, Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh? They are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. I've quoted parts of that in every wedding ceremony I've ever, I've ever officiated. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And the, the, the Greek, the original language here is actually more emphatic than that. It's not just that no one should separate that union, that relationship relationship, but that, that, that you can't separate it. One pastor uses an image I like that. He says that, that, that when a man and a wife leave their father and mother united to, to each other, the, the two become one. It's, it's almost like, it's not almost like, it is like God supernaturally connects them or glues them together. We'll, we'll look at that more next week about what happens in a sexual relationship and, and, and how God views that, uh, what happens not just physically but also spiritually and emotionally and everything else. But, but uh, uh, for, our, for our discussion this week, we need to know that God glues the two together and they become one. And, and you can't just unglue what God has glued together on a whim. So Jesus told these Pharisees that you can't just get a certificate and pretend that this marriage never happened. No certificate from a judge or a church or even Moses himself can unglue what God has glued together. He's not saying that to be mean-spirited or to keep us from enjoying life. Doesn't God want me to be? Simply saying in this marriage relationship is a holy sacred thing and we celebrate that and it is it is a sad thing when that breaks apart all kinds of complications many of you have, have have lived it all kinds of complications and headaches and problem and, and pain and grief and loss can be avoided if marriages remain intact we can't treat the marriage relationship casually Go get a certificate of divorce for any and every reason and then go marry someone else. And to do that, God sees it, uh, Jesus says that God sees that as just like committing adultery because the union was never unglued. Marriage is sacred and not to be taken lightly. So then the other question, hang on with me, the other question or another way of saying this question, I guess, is, is there ever a time that divorce is allowed? And the answer is also yes. And we, we read it there. In cases of sexual immorality, 
Uh, some uh, translations even even go to the stage of of abuse, not necessarily uh, just a, a sexual uh, immorality, but uh, but 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 abuse, violence, and those types of things as well. Uh, sexual activity that is not with your spouse is so grievous and destructive. Jesus says that the marriage rela- it, and, and it's destructive to that marriage relationship. It tears away from that supernatural gluing. And so the innocent party is not sinning if they divorce in that situation and they would be free to remarry. It's permitted, but it's not a flippant or casual thing, right? There's sadness there that, 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 where, because sin entered in there and, and, and brought about an end to something that God intended to be beautiful. Marriage is not something to be entered into lightly. I think in the marriage ceremony we say entered into unadvisedly it's it's not something to be taken casually and and yes divorce uh happens and and scripture addresses that but it's only permitted uh in cases of of infidelity and again that's that's can look like several different things right but but divorce isn't the plan (laughs) from the start marriage is something beautiful and should be celebrated and entered into with a sense of honor. There's so many other, other issues uh, related to our relationships and specific things to, to, uh, to, to look at and address even on these few things that we've talked about today. And, and I, I know that in this setting, I can just uh, give out some of the principles and, and then you're left to go, yeah, but what? And, uh, and, and I guess we should have just handed out mics to everybody and we could have just had a great conversation here all afternoon. If there is something where you're going, yep, I would love to talk with you about that. We can, we could email back and forth or we could, uh, we can, uh, uh, sit down together, uh, and in, in my office or over coffee or something and we can discuss some of those things and, and look at what, okay, this specific instance, what, what does this really say about that? Cause we know it's not about, okay, it's just what makes me feel happy or what I feel like doing or what somebody somewhere said I'd be okay. We've got to look through this lens if we're followers of Jesus. If we're not, then, then you're not looking through this lens. And But if you're following God, then we look at Scripture and look at God's character and see what He's like and what we should be like. Love each other deeply. uh, Serve others. Pursue reconciliation. Keep your vows like God does. Uh, One other thing that I want to highlight here today that where we should emulate God's character is in forgiveness. It's in God's character to forgive a little forgiveness goes a long way in our relationships. Again, I've, I've taught weeks on the nuances of forgiveness and uh, the, the things that forgiveness is and the things that forgiveness is not and, and certain situations and, and circumstances where we, we come at those things. Uh, bottom line, I guess, for our, uh, our conversation today, Colossians 3.12 says, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because God is love, because God keeps his promises, because God pursues reconciliation, he forgives. So forgive as the Lord forgave you. I guess we just need to, we could remember it this way. Forgiven people forgive. 
If I've been forgiven by God, if I've recognized that God has has uh, sent a savior to, to pay for my sin so that I can have a relationship, that he forgives me when he looks at my sin, he looks through Jesus and, and his, uh, his suffering on the cross for me. Uh, so, so he forgives me. And if that relationship, if I'm enjoying that relationship with him, then I'm going to extend forgiveness and grace in the relationships I have with others. And that forgiveness of God is important here, especially at any point along the way in this series. Uh, Perhaps even today, as I've addressed, I know I've addressed some pretty personal topics. God is always ready to forgive. You may find yourself uh, at a place of question. And, oh, God, I, I don't know here. I mean, is, is there something that I need? Uh, maybe there's a, a sense of, uh, of conviction or, or, or maybe there's this, uh, what, what happens if I'm already down that road and, and I've already gone there and, and uh, maybe that's not what God wanted for me. And I, I guess the question is, what do I do now? It's as simple as confession and seeking forgiveness. In whatever circumstance, whether that's in, in, uh, relationships with, with, uh, with, with other ethnicities or, or relationships in, in my marriage. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, 1 John beginning in chapter 2 verse 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the anointing, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. God's desire is that we will not sin, that that we will follow after him and, and develop his character in our lives. But if we do, we can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. So we can repent. The word repent merely means look at sin the way God looks at sin recognizing sin as sin, uh, and then we fall on the mercy and the grace of God. And as we do that, God promises to forgive. And remember, one big thing that we've already talked about today, God keeps his promises. So when we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us our sins. Relationships are complicated. They, they can bring so much joy. They can bring so much pain. I guess if I were to, uh, to, to, to look at this from the, the bird's eye view, what does God desire in our relationships? I'd go back to that, that verse in 1 Peter that we looked at toward the beginning of the message today, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply for, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Will you stand with me? Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, we desire to follow after you. We desire to walk step by step with you. We, we know that, uh, that, that, that we uh, have uh, certain desires in our own lives, things that we want to, uh, to see happen, and, and we lift those things to you. And ultimately, though, we, we say, thy will be done. Lord, I pray that as, as we continue to acknowledge that your Holy Spirit moves and works in and through the church, Lord, I pray that your spirit would bring your love and your grace and your conviction and your strength even in these moments. And I pray that, that as we go from here today, we could go with, that, with that, uh, that, that, that principle on our minds and on our hearts, love each other deeply. Help us to love each other as you 
have loved us. Help us to forgive each other as you have forgiven us. Help us to to, uh, allow your character to be formed in us and through us. Lord, I pray that whatever relationships that we face and whatever discord we might uh, encounter, Lord, I pray that your grace and your love and your truth would reign supreme in and through our lives, that we could love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your healing. We thank you that you have a plan for each of us. And I pray that as we go from here, we can go uh, living in the center of that plan, that you would lead us and guide us every step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.